Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Steel Target Paint Podcast. I'm Jeff Jones. And I'm Steve Foster. And, you know, it's the first one of 2020. Steve, I think we need a new intro, and I think I've got it. So I, I want you to listen to this, okay? Here we go. Can you hear the steel a-ringing? What do you think? Well, uh, let's, let's just say that caught me off guard just a little bit, Jeff. Um, let me, uh, let me think about that just a little bit and I'll get back to you. All right. That sounds fair. Well, listen, everybody, um, Steve being the dedicated podcaster that he is, we've both been very busy, uh, practicing, getting ready for the season. And so he's actually in his car right now. That's how dedicated he is to making sure we get a podcast out. So, uh, hopefully you're all going to be able to hear him. I hear him pretty good right now. So I think we're going to be good. What do you think, Steve? You ready to do this? Both hands on the wheel, eyes forward. Jeff, I'm ready. All right. So uh, at the end of uh, 2019, we'd sent out a, a, a request on the podcast page to say, you know, give us your questions. Um, I've compiled them all, and Steve and I are going to go through and answer them. So uh, I'm going to do a lot of reading because, again, we want Steve, hands at 10 and 2, eyes on the road. Um, but, you know, like me, we know Steve can talk steel, so uh, he should be able to handle the questions. Uh, so uh, the first ones uh, we've got, and I kind of grouped them together, um, is on goals, which I think is great. I think everybody needs to set a goal. So I'm going to read off all these goals, and then we can talk about them, Steve. So Dan Howard says his goal is for him to make the top 20 in RFPO and open. Very, very stout goals. Uh, Jeremy Boutwell's goals are to break the 72nd with rimfire rifle iron and rimfire rifle open consistently. Um, wants to shoot in three state steel championships, one area match. Good goals. Brian Ferguson, my goal for 2020 is to make Club 13 and shoot the East Coast Steel Challenge and shoot a match in Florida. Brian, I know where there's a match you can get there. <laughs> I know a guy, huh? <laughs> I know a guy. And, uh, and Tony Rosenschweig says, I'd like to increase my rimfire pistol classification each, at least one class and move my rifle times up to the new minimum standards for GM. So, Steve, these are pretty some auspicious goals, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I know all the shooters that we just talked about, and uh, I know they can do it, that's for sure. Well, I, let's I talk think, about I that. I think prob pro probably the toughest one, from my perspective, is uh, Dan's lofty goal of being in the top 20 and open. That's a fast, that's a really fast division. Um, there's a lot of fast guys out there. There's a couple out there. There's a couple out there that people don't see coming. I'm going to throw a, I'm going to throw a name out there, Jeff. Uh, Seth Fox. Oh, yeah. Seth Fox, is, he's the highest classified as of, I don't know, a week or two ago the highest classified master class shooter in open in steel challenge. So he's going to participate in the Georgia state match. And I think he's going to become a grandmaster. and boy, that list, it's, there's a lot of fast guys out there. That's for sure. Well, you know, I haven't looked at the top 20 open in a while. And, um, it's, um, I think you're right. I think that's a tough one. Cause what you don't see is how many people are between 21 and the top master. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying. There, you know, so you say the oh, top yeah. 20, but you know that division might have 150 GMs in it. I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there. Rimfire pistol open probably uh, is up there. Um, but you know, when I read this goal, I kind of looked at it a different way. In that, I think it's a great goal. I think it's something to shoot for. Um, but I think what you should, what Dan should be looking to do is to constantly increase his scores and then that will get him or decrease his times if you will and that'll get him to the that top 20 list yeah and you know even a seasoned uh, shooter like myself every time that i go to the range specifically a local match i'm looking to set at least one personal best because that helps fuel me to become even faster and faster and i get more engaged in shooting and uh, you know, here a couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity at the Georgia um, local match in Griffin, Georgia. I took out my brand new uh, JP PCC. You got a new one. I know I'm showing off, right, Jeff? You but are, a new but one that's with a okay. Side, <laughs> with a side charging handle. There was, oh, it adds six, seven ounces more weight. 
but you know the interesting part is the weights right in your hands and then I've been testing this PNR ammunition they're based out of Gainesville Georgia they've got a 135 grain competition load it's uh, 135 grain 9 millimeter going about 840 or so feet per second and that combination of my JP and I'm sure somebody will ask so I'll throw it out there I run two tungsten weights and three stainless. Probably you get away with running three tank, uh, three tungsten and two stainless. But Jeff, I shot. You know, it's a six stage match. I shot three out of uh, the six stages. I shot three personal bests in PCCO. So I'm just. I mean, that's how I. That's how I started 2020. So I'm ready to rock and roll, Jeff. I'm excited. Well, that's awesome. And you know, uh, for a shooter your caliber to continue to set personal bests is amazing. I always um, try to set a goal of, of being within a half a second of my best time. Um, oh, if I, if I'm within a half a second, you know, I'm, I'm well within to me that range of saying, okay, I'm right where I need to be. And if I can set that personal best, that's fantastic. Um, you know, because again, at some point you're going to top out. Right. Right. You know, and so but you can't, you, you, you got to set realistic goals. I think continue, I mean, you know, we, we, we keep seeing the PCCO and the rimfire rifle and, and those are getting faster and faster and people are really getting to the point where, um, you know, I've watched a lot of videos. I've watched a lot of videos of you and with, with Chris um, and it's almost your finger's going to pull the trigger and your body better get the gun to the plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had that experience. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Jeff, before we deep dive in, dive into this whole top twenty thing, because I posted that out there about PCC and I found a personal best in rimfire rifle open, is people ask me, is where where on earth do I get that information? So Steel Challenge Shooting Association, it's scsa.org, released a new website. What's that been? Probably two months or so ago, Jeff, somewhere in there. A little bit, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, so um, the website has some great features. You can see what your classifications are, similar to the old one, but there's uh, there's a link to hit top 20. So if you pull up the top 20, it's got every division in Steel Challenge as well as the different uh, classifications. So you can see the top 20 in each division by classification. Yep, in fact, you know what, because you mentioned it, I went to the page. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at the open, and absolutely, here's the interesting thing. Seth is a 94.68% master, so he's 0.32% of being away from a grandmaster. Now, the interesting thing is, is that 20th on the grandmaster list is Jesse Harrison, very much an accomplished shooter herself. Her percentage is 94.79. So... It's not going to take much for Seth to get into that top 20 grandmaster level shooter. I wonder what it is at that level. It's probably, what, a half of a second maybe to get that little delta that he has left? Probably, if, if even that much. You know, 94.68, um, I don't remember offhand what the, the, the summated peak time is for open. I could look it up, but, yeah, he's really close. You know, I mean, that's probably, like you say, a half a second. So, so Dan, good goals. So let's talk about Jeremy breaking 70 with a rimfire rifle and rimfire open consistently. Sounds like he's done it already, which is fantastic. Something I've never done. Um, and uh, how would you tell someone to, to, to do that, Steve? You know, to say, okay, to get, to get the consistency. Well, I, I think that's kind of a funny story. I think Jeremy was talking about getting into the 70s, or was he talking about breaking Oh, no, you're right. Yeah. Break break into the 70s. Okay, so he's he wants to get into that 72nd range. Reading is fundamental. Well, you know, the other interesting part is he lives in Alaska, so I've seen pictures of him out on social media. It's negative 23 degrees while he's trying to practice, so... Uh, Man, and you know what, Jeff? I did talk to him recently, and you'll never guess what. What's that? He's got a home range. <laughs> oh, way to go, Jeremy. Just, you know, there's another one piling it on, piling it on. That's right. That's, That's right. awesome. 
Yeah, I, I think the part about breaking into the 70s and certainly getting progressively better is when I've talked about, even when I uh, do training, but I, you know, put an article, it's been, I don't know, three years ago or so, I talk about shooting on the edge and what the concept of the edge is, is being able to shoot at the best level that you can until um, your fundamentals start to degrade. So what that means is if I'm shooting on a particular stage, um, and I've shared this quite a few times, like when I shot Smoke and Hope at the 2019 World Speed Shoot, when I set the world record, I saw the dot on every single target as I pulled the trigger. So it wasn't one of these that I'm just guessing where it is, I'm point shooting, any of that kind of stuff. When we talk about shooting on the edge, it's to have that fundamental because fundamentals are is seeing the dot on the target or the front sight on the target and then pulling the trigger. But what ends up happening is, is people have this weird sensation in their head that they're not shooting fast enough. And so then they start shooting past what I call their edge or their capability. And they start point shooting and pulling the trigger when they think the gun's supposed to be there and those kind of things. So somebody at the level that Jeremy is at, as long as you keep shooting in that 85, 90% or even pushing that edge, getting close to that edge of 100%. As long as he does that and he gets four good ones and then he can rip off a fifth one that's maybe well over the edge and maybe get lucky a couple of times, that's how he's going to be consistent and that's how he's going to uh, continue to shoot in the 70s and who knows, with a little bit of work, time, effort, and guns that run in negative 23 degree weather, um, that's how he'll end up breaking the 70 mark and shooting into the 60s. Oh yeah, for me it would be guns, ammo, and fingers. I mean, at that, I mean that's just, I. You remember the the Griffin match uh, two years ago? It was about thirty-seven degrees when we started, and you know, I'm sure uh, Jeremy's like, "That's balmy. <laughs> that's easy." <laughs> that's that's exactly right. I can't even imagine. And talking with Jessica, that's up in Alaska as well that there's times where they'll shoot a stage and everybody will get in their truck or vehicle and warm up for 20 minutes okay let's get out and run to the next stage that's uh, that's a whole different way of life for sure well jeremy your other goal is shooting in three state steel championships in one area match it's time and money that's what that comes down to it's finding the time uh travel time uh and time to be able to get there shoot the match and then uh and then the expenses to put into it. Um, there's so many matches out there. There's steel is just, I mean, every time I'm on Facebook, there's a, a new match popping up. Uh, I see there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a Michigan championship and there may have been one in the past, but I hadn't seen it before, but there's just, they're popping up everywhere. And so they're available. But again, if you're in Alaska, it's, it's that travel time. Hey, Jeff, uh, where's a good place for people to find all these sanctioned major matches? Well, you know what? I'm glad you asked that because you can also do that on the scsa.org uh, website. Okay? So from the homepage, there are, there's a, uh, a drop-down for uh, matches. And if you click that, you can say find local matches in your, in your area, and you can view the calendar, and that's going to show you this, this calendar look or you can actually go in and find section area and national championships. And um, both of those are a calendar or a list. And so you can see your level one, level two, and level three matches, the dates of the match, and where those locations are. You know, I'm looking right here at the, at the, uh, the state area uh, match, and you've got, you know, just going down the line, I'm not going to put the dates out there, Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, there's a Southwest Regional Steel, Indiana Steel, Great Plains Steel, and that's all. Those are all before the World Speeding Shoot, World Speed Shooting Championships, which are going to be Memorial Day weekend in Alabama. So, and the the list goes on <laughs> from there. Okay, Minnesota, Missouri, uh, the West Florida Area Two, Wisconsin, Alabama, East Coast. Uh, oh, there's an Alaska. Uh, I, I bet you he'll be at that state championship. So it's going to be, it's, a, it's definitely a year for uh, being able to hit those matches. All right. You mentioned the world speed shoot, and I promise this will be my one tangent for today. And we'll go back to uh, the viewer questions, comments, and goals. 
boy, that sign up for the World Speed Shoot this year, we crashed practice score, yep. Jeff. Yes, we did. Uh, did you get the uh, error message when you tried to sign up? Um, you know what's funny? I had two windows open, and I got it in one window, and I jumped to the other, and uh, didn't get it there, and kept moving, and got my guns all registered. Wow, that was that was crazy. I don't know what the statistics were, but I think they had 500 guns sold out in 15 minutes. Something like that. I know. I know. After about 10 minutes, there were 400 slots taken because I did. I did remember checking that. Um, but yeah, when I first got registered, I, I was shooting five ISR guns because uh, I didn't care what division it was in. <laughs> I was just getting in the match. Now that's a good strategy. I haven't thought about that one before. Yep. First one got in and got my first first day they wanted, and then you know I'm fortunate. I'm not trying to shoot with anybody. Uh, uh, I like, you know, meet new people. And if I get to shoot with people that I know on the squad, that's great. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that are shooting two, three, they like to shoot with four of their friends. When Talladega, if you want to get a morning slot, you and your three friends are the whole squad because they're only shooting eight man squads in the morning. So I, I understand it can be tough, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was there at about, uh, when did it open now? I think it was seven o'clock at night on a Saturday night. And at about six fifty-five, oh, yeah. I kept hitting refresh and it was like four minutes left, three minutes left. And then it was 27 seconds left. And then when I hit it, I had the registration page and just start, you know, it's like, get your number in and get paid. <laughs> I don't know what we need to do in terms of uh, USPSA and the Steel Channel Shooting Association. There's got to be a better way to do registration. Um, I will give you a peek behind the curtain, though. This is the uh, first year that I think they changed around their, you know, what the super squad looks like. I think they did it by, you know, their different matches. Let's call it rimfire rifle, rimfire pistol, and yeah, they did the fire. major. I'm, yeah, the major match yeah. categories each have a, uh, a, a super squad. Yep. Yep, yep. So I was fortunate to get invited to a couple of those. I only took them up on the offer to do one. But um, the, the good part about that was is you could register ahead of time. And whew, it took my anxiety level down at least one degree. Yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it, you know, and, and this, I just checked the numbers, okay? Um, don't hold me to this, but I think there's 704 slots, something like that, if you do the math. Um, let's just say 700 slots available. Um, there's 25 spots left. So Holy cow. It will be That's amazing. Yeah, if everybody shows and shoots, it'll be the biggest match. Uh, it'll break the record from last year, which set the record. So, um, you know, the availability of being able to shoot on Memorial Day weekend um, and, and shooting two sessions on Sunday uh, and giving everybody Monday a chance to do uh, a travel day um, really afforded that extra uh, amount of shooters, which is great. I, I think it's fantastic. I can't wait for it. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. It is interesting, though. There's a lot of scuttlebutt talk about, well, I wish it was back in California. I wish it was in Florida. I wish it was here. I wish it was there. Uh, the reality is that the Steel Challenge has grown, and the largest matches we've seen have been in the in the Georgia Alabama area, so it'd be interesting if they do end up moving it next year or the year after, because I know Mike use, use, uh, usually likes to move those types of matches around. It'd be interesting to see what what happens in the upcoming years. Yeah, you know, I think I think you're right. I think that that uh, Georgia Alabama South Carolina, there's a hotbed. We've got a pretty good uh, following here in Florida, um, and so you know, Georgia for me is is six hours, six and a half. Alabama's about nine, well within my driving range, and you bring a lot of people in there. Um, I'm not taking anything away from California. I have never been out there. I heard the range is amazing to shoot, um, and they probably have a lot of shooters out there. I just wonder if they have enough locals. I mean, that last match out there, granted it was, what, going on three years ago now, I think they had 350 guns, um, which is a great match, but you know, when you're pulling in 600, you know, you just kind of look at the numbers and go, why move it? But only time will tell on that. Yeah, absolutely. All right, back to our regularly uh, scheduled podcast. <laughs> All right, so Brian Ferguson, my goal for 2020, making Club 13 and shooting a couple matches. So 
Brian, I'll tell you what's the easiest way to make Club 13. Buy a revolver or find a friend who let you borrow one. <laughs> because that's the gun that most people have trouble finding. Now, you may have a revolver, and then you can find people. But, you know, I, I know so many people that, you know, did it to, to get a classification. Um, you know, Steve, I know you bought a, a revolver. I bought one. Um, I still love shooting the revolver. I think it's a hoot um, to shoot that gun. Uh, but that tends to be the one that's tough for people to make the investment in a gun just to make Club 13. So that, that's my recommendation. What do you think, Steve? Oh, I, I agree 100%. I think that um, knowing somebody that's got a revolver, um, it, it's one of those things, though, Jeff, when I shot it, I love doing it. But I just, I'm, I want to be as good as I possibly can. And with a revolver, it's a whole different ball of wax. It's something that I think needs a lot of time and dedication to get really, really good at, to be, to be up in that top, let's say, 20 of revolver shooters. Whew, that would take uh, some time and effort. But it's a, fun, it's a fun gun to shoot. But, you know, odds are in this community, if you don't have something, there's somebody else out there. Post it out on social media. Get into a couple groups. People loan you what they have to to get Club Thirteen. Absolutely. Well, you know, I'm I'm. It's very interesting. You bring you bring up the you know to break it into the top twenty. So I'm doing a quick look here at the top twenty list for OSR. There's only ten GMs in the world. So that should tell you how hard it is to get really good with that game. Here's the other interesting thing. There's only 15 masters. So out of all the revolver shooters, the top 20 only comprise all the, or they do comprise all the GMs and masters. So, I mean, it's clearly a, a, a division that a lot, of, a lot of people don't shoot. Um, again, I took it as a challenge. I have a blast with it. And uh, I'm actually going to shoot mine at the, at the World Shoot this year. I decided to add a, a, a sixth gun, and uh, I'm going to shoot OSR and, and have some fun with it. That's awesome. All right. Here's a great one from Tony. Increasing his rimfire pistol classifications at least one class uh, and move his rifle times to the new minimum standards. I think those are great goals. And... Um, you know, Tony, I think the way to look at that is to get a little analytical and look at what are you doing on each stage with those guns and what are those stages you got to work on. And then when you shoot those, go back and look at your matches and are you going one for one? Are you, you know, what's your draw? Are you, are, what's your transitions? And, and see where you can start squeezing your time out. Um, at least that's how I've done it for all my centerfire guns because um, I picked all those up uh, last year. And I started really analyzing it, looking at it, and going, you know what? I got to work on speed option. And so, you know, that last match of the year, shooting uh, single stack, trying to get that into the A classification. And uh, I got to the last stage, and it was speed option. And I said, I'm going to do this. And I needed, I think, three seconds. By that time, I'd have a great match up to that point. And I needed three more seconds, and I just said, you know what? Don't go fast. Don't try to go fast. Go one for, be smooth and go one for one. And I got four and a half seconds and got my A classification and put the single stack in the safe. <laughs> I love shooting single stack. It's been a while. I started messing around. With these, uh, I got a couple of Sig Legion X5s, and so my goal last year was to make a master class in carry optics, which I was able to do. Unfortunately, um, I haven't shot carry optics in, in a little bit, so I'm going to polish that off and uh, or take it out of the safe, polish it up a little bit. And my goal this year is to become a grandmaster in, in carry optics. Um, the, the tough part. We had Shannon Smith on the podcast. Is the tough part is if you want to be one of the best at, let's say, Rimfire Rifle Open and PCC Open, um, you got to still train with those guns. And when you're training with those guns, it's tough to 
pick another one up to become a grandmaster or be one of the better carry object shooters out there. So that's, that's what I'm struggling with a little bit. And we'll talk it some other time, but I'm changing platforms for my rimfire rifle open. So there'll be an announcement coming out here soon, and we'll talk more about that. But anytime you have a different gun, um, you know, number one, you got to make sure it's reliable and it's consistent. But every gun's got a different feel to it. Um, you know, maybe the, the height adjustment of a riser is slightly different. But all that stuff takes work. And if you're shooting at, you know, some of the speeds that are the top in the country, all those little changes make make a difference. So, but my goal is is, is to still be a great rimfire rifle open shooter, uh, PCC open, but hopefully pick up a Grandmaster uh, uh, classification card in uh, carry optics. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. So I got to get it out of the safe and start shooting it, Jeff. We've already started 2020. <laughs> well, you know, Steve, I I, uh, I agree with you 100. percent You know. Um, you are you are clearly in, uh, in in that upper echelon of the shooters in in PCCO and Rimfire Rifle Open, and and quite frankly, I think if you were to you know switch over to do a little PCCI and Rimfire Rifle Iron, you'd be right there as well. Um, I've said it a hundred times. I'll say it a million times again. This is a learned skill. This is a diminishable skill. And if you don't, and it, and that's by gun. Now the good news is is that, you know the rimfire rifle and the PCC, very similar platforms. Um, you know, when you get into the centerfire guns, um, you're limited, your production, relatively the same. I mean, you can get a better, you know, if you get a, a 2011, you know, you're shooting in limited, that's going to be a lot different than a production gun. But they're, I think they're closer uh, than most people think. Uh, when you start getting into things like carry optics, which is a production gun with a dot on it, and an open gun, very different. Um, and then, you know, you throw a revolver, a single stack in there, again, very different. In fact, I would, I would actually change that and go limited and single stack are probably closer in, in, uh, in platform than, than production. The point is, is that, um, you know, yes, they've all got a draw out of a holster. Uh, some of them are race. Some of them are standard holsters. Um, Uh, again, I don't. I don't doubt if you were to say, you know what, I'm going to make Grandmaster in carry optics, and oh by the way, I'm going to make Grandmaster in open. I know you could do it. And to your point, your PCCO and your rimfire rifle O would suffer. And those are your gains yeah, right I, now. Yeah, that's that. That's where my head's at as well. I've recently don't tell Chris or Grant or any of those guys, but I've shot uh, PCCI. Um, a couple of rounds in practice. I may uh, I may dust that off to get my classification up where it needs to be, but um, or at least in terms of the top 20 list. But yeah, you're exactly right. I, I did start a little bit middle of last year. I shot a little bit of carry optics. I really haven't touched my open gun much last year. But as soon as I started messing around shooting centerfire, my times were not quite as good or as good as I thought they should be. Rimfire rifle open and PCCO, um, so I do shoot multiple guns because I hey you know what I'm going someplace I just love to shoot Jeff. I agree. But, um, you know when when it comes to those couple of other divisions I want to be one of the best in in the country and and uh, you know I've been healthy and all that kind of stuff and great support from great companies and uh, you know dialing in a couple things and making a couple of changes that I think needed to be made. Um, but to, to really to really help, it's not coincidental of what I did here a couple of weeks ago um, at a classification match at a local match. I, I shot better than than I have in a long time, and you know it's a lot. Us as steel shooters, we always talk about this, but I was so close to smashing my personal best. I missed plate number two by less than a half an inch at 10 o'clock. If if I would have grabbed that one, it would have been right around a 540 or 550 on smoking hole. But you know what? You need four clean ones. Yep. And I only shot three clean ones. But you know what? I went for it. Um, sometimes you get them, and sometimes sometimes you don't. But in order to be the best at something, you got to stick with it, and you got to focus on it. You have to be analytical to figure out, you know, to what you're talking about, different stages and all that kind of jazz. You know, if somebody's out there shooting better than you, 
Chris Barrett was shooting better than me in outer limits. You know what I've been working on for the last three or four months? Shooting outer limits. And I was fortunate to shoot um, a personal best. I actually shot a personal best in PCCO at a time of 9.33 uh, here a couple weeks ago. And, you know, if somebody would have told me a year ago I would, I would shoot below a 9.5 with a rifle on outer limits, I, I would have said, you talking two strings or what? Um, so it, it does. It takes it takes time, effort, and dedication. A little bit of critical thinking to to walk through, and it doesn't hurt. You know, practicing with Chris. You know, he's making it from one box to another box in like 1.4 seconds. And I'm sitting over here scratching my head. How the heck did he do that? And and you have to find strategies to uh, to mitigate some of your opportunities. But I know I can pull the trigger, transition a gun. Well, you know that's that's a really good point too because you two are pushing each other, and and uh, you're both at the top of your games, and pushing each other um, raises both your levels. You know I've always said that you know in this game you're either being chased or you're chasing somebody, and given the week you and Chris's position may change. This week he's chasing you. Next week you're chasing him, uh, but you're you're both there at the top of the game. Um, and I think that's a, a, a huge benefit that you guys have and that you've got somebody pushing you and you're like, okay, he just shot that. I've got to, you know, I don't want to say bear down, but you, you know, you've like, I've, you've got to be on point to be able to, to maintain it. And so does he, you know, cause it doesn't take much. Like you said, you were, you know, you were, uh, half an inch off at two o'clock on, on, on a plate. Um, and you know, that happens once and you got to make up. And if that's your throwaway, that's great. But if that happens two or three times, you know, that's why I always preach go one for one because your makeups cost you a lot of time in a match. Yeah, I completely agree. And what people don't realize, I had somebody that came up and, uh, from Florida and did some training with me here not too long ago, and uh, they're a really good shooter, and I think they placed, I don't know, ninth or ten overall in uh, Rimfire Rifle Open. Like, and usually I'm in the top third. But what people don't realize is, you know, shooting out of Griffin Gun Club, I'm there and Chris is there every month. So you've got arguably two of the top three rifle shooters in the country yep. at a local match. And those that also shoot, there's plenty of grandmasters around the Georgia area, and they are extremely, extremely good. And some of those folks don't realize if they travel to other states, they would be probably the fastest person at, their, at another local match. But... Um, yeah, this, this area of the country has some of the most competitive um, rifle shooters, let alone shooters in the country. Don't get me wrong, there's great people out in California and the Northeast and a couple of states over this way and that way. But if you look at, you know, classified shooters, there's there's a lot of great classified shooters in the, uh, in the Southeast, specifically in Georgia. No doubt. All right. So um, I really don't want to read this next question. Um, but Go ahead, Jeff. I know you want to. I know you want to. So Zach Grubb. Zach, thank you for the question. We really appreciate your support. Can you hear the sarcasm in my voice? I'd like to hear the details of building a home range. <laughs> well, Zach, you know what? I'm going to have to give this over to Steve because he's done it. I don't have, you know, just so everybody knows, I don't have a home range. I have a range I can go to and use and have access to, but, you know, it's, it's not I have to actually, like, get in the car and, and drive there. Steve has to, like, he could fall down this hill and he'd be at his range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, what people don't understand, at least from my perspective, is how much money it really does take to have a home range, and to you know to do the the dirt work and all that kind of stuff. I mean that's one thing, but it's really to find um, a piece of property that you can shoot on. I mean uh, I'm fortunate I've got 10 acres, which some people think a lot. It's really not, but I'm surrounded by people that have a lot of acres, so I'm not encroaching in on other people's uh, area and all that kind of stuff. But Whatever you do, when you're looking at a piece of property, make sure you find out what the ordinances are for your state, city, 
And then even as I found out recently, because we've looked around it, as I moved with the same company to a different location, we've thought about moving, is there are some counties that have county ordinances against shooting. As an example, the one that uh, we were looking at that has a great school district and all that kind of stuff, it's got a countywide ordinance. You have to have 25 acres or more of continuous property to, uh, to shoot on, which is like continuous property, what do you mean by that? So if I've got 13 acres and Jeff, you happen to be next door and you got 12, that's not 25 continuous uh, acres, that's 13 and that's 12. So um, you can have, I think it's either 10 or 15 if you want to shoot buckshot, but if you want to shoot a rifle or a pistol, you have to have 25 acres or more. So that's a, that's a pretty pretty big deal. Um, but to get a house on that type of property, uh, we paid a fair amount of money to, to make that happen. But just be careful um, and, and make sure there's no ordinances. A great way of doing that, and you know, Google can take you only so far, my recommendation is call the sheriff in the county. Because obviously you've got to be outside the city limits because there's a lot of city ordinances against shooting. But call the sheriff because, you know what, the sheriff is the one that's going to respond to a call of somebody <laughs> shooting on their property. Good point. So, uh, but then they're done that in terms of, of, of doing research. Um, so that, that's number one, and then find a place that's secure and safe and all that kind of stuff. And when it comes to developing a range is you always have to be clear because more than likely if you're the one that's creating a range, you're probably not going to be doing the moving around the dirt. What I recommend, at least 10, if not 12-foot berms on either side. And so, you know, if you go with 12, sometimes they settle down to 10. But you want to make sure it's at least that, and there's a certain pitch ratio that I'm sure people will comment or uh, post on. The other thing is is to make sure that it's drained properly. One of the advantages of living in Georgia, there's a lot of local matches, so I've seen what... <laughs> what, what um, you're not supposed to do, and there's some video of me standing in mud uh, up past my ankles at a match in Georgia. Um, but to make sure that the range is drained properly, and, and that's that shouldn't be that big of a deal. But if you go to do it after, it could be a pain in the backside. So I've got a everything. There's a minimal elevation change that happens to my range. It slightly goes down, then slightly goes up, and then it's about a one to two degree goes to the left. And so just go ahead and. Make sure that you put that drain in. The other thing, and I think it took me three or four dump load, uh, dump truck loads of stone, 57 stone, is what I put on my range because I want to shoot at any particular time. I think that's a must. But you know, put down grass, that's fine. But I put stone down. Um, so even when it's been raining, like end of days here in Georgia, walk out of my range last night, and it is dry as can be. So uh, the stone helps, but the drainage helps, and all that kind of jazz. Well, you know, Steve, there's also so think, some inconsequential things when I came to your range um, that I saw that people don't think about to begin with. Um, but as you've got it up and running, you realize it. And, you know, like the one thing I remember when we were there, we were there at night. And you're like, hey, yep. I just – and you'd had the range for a couple of months. And you're like, I just yep. got these lights. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, you know, daylight savings time, you're not practicing at night unless you have lights. Um, Correct. You know, so you've got that, you know, um, you've got a nice little, uh, uh, I was going to say cabin, but it's really not. It's more like a little, uh, uh, help me, like a garage, what? like a tin garage. What yeah, is I, it, Steve? I, I, call, I call it a shooting house, and it's the weirdest thing ever if yeah. you've never been there. When I designed it, you know, I wanted to have a place, number one, that you could sit down if it happened to be in the middle of the, the summer to have some sort of shelter. So initially the building, it's 18 by 20 foot, and it, you know, certainly has a roof. And then later on, after going through the first winter, I put three sides on it because of the wind and all that kind of stuff. So you can put a, um, a little salamander-type heater in there, and if it's 32 degrees out, it'll be probably... 55 or so inside that little shooting area, which is which is great. Um, but the other thing that I did that was a huge upgrade is I um, hand dug a trench, which that's probably the silliest thing I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> is it's only 150 feet. Uh, at least that's what I felt at the time. Yeah, it's only 150 feet, but I, I dug it by hand. 
um, on Good Friday, actually last year, so it's been almost a year. But boy, that was uh, that was a rough one. But to just have a just a little bit of power out there, so I've got my large Diva fan. I can run a heater that's uh, assisted by electric because I've got lights inside and, and lights outside. I think that's all nice to have stuff. Worst case scenario, make sure that you've got a nice area and then it's drained properly and then all the other stuff's a plus on, on top of it. But the other thing that I will mention, and I was a little bit landlocked because of where, let's just say my wife wanted me to put the range because I had a whole <laughs> other area set up that was going to be a lot bigger. We've got an upper pasture. That's where it was going to go but is to take into account um, where the sun rises and where the sun sets. Ah, good because point. You don't, yeah, you don't want to be like you're in frostproof where the sun comes directly face over the top of the berm. Um, we maintained a lot of the natural trees in the area, so if you're driving by my house, and even people that pull up to it, you wouldn't know it's where it's at. So um, it was a little bit discreet, but if you've got a blank canvas, be very mindful. You you really want um, your range to run north and south as much as possible, so the sun will come up on one side and set on the other side. So you never have a situation where you got a sun directly in your face because you know you can take a lot of things, a little cold, a little heat, and all that, but nothing's worse than having the sun right in your face when you're trying to practice. And or more than likely, enough, we had it. Uh, we shot our, our uh, uh, Wyoming Antelope Club match this weekend. And, you know, you've been there, we've got covered bays, but the bays do yeah. have openings for ventilation. And right. um, I get down to five to go, and plate two has the full power of the sun <laughs> on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Wait an hour to shoot? No, you got to shoot it. You know, so I, I get up there, and I'm like, okay, and I'm, I'm shooting, uh, I was shooting open. And, uh, okay, I can see the dot on one, and I lose my yeah. dot on two. Well, you know, yep. you just, you just got to do it. Um, and, and oddly enough, uh, I shot a pretty good five to go. Uh, and I think part of it was, you know, again, I was like, okay, I have to stay focused, which I should say that every time I shoot. Um, yep. But, yep. yeah, good, good point on the north-south. All right, Zach, uh, you know, if you have any other further questions about home range, um, uh, we'll be giving out Steve's number later in the pot. No, I'm kidding. Uh, get a hold of Steve, and he can help you with all those intricacies. Uh, good question. Hey, you know what else is going on, Jeff? What's that, Steve? You know what Chris Baird's building right now? If you say home range, I'm going to poke him in the eye. Well, it's not at his home, but it's on his uh, grandparents' property, so okay. it's his own home Fair enough. Range. Fair <laughs> enough. That's awesome. Good for Chris. Good for Chris. Break. He's going to break 55, little punk. <laughs> hey, somebody's got to do it, right? No, I, I, say that, I say that with the utmost respect. I, I, uh, I think it's great. Uh, I, you know, uh, I looked at the numbers um, the day after for the world speed shoot and over half the match is comprised of rimfire pistol open rimfire rifle open and pcc open so there's over 330 shooters just shooting those guns it's pretty amazing that is amazing all right next topic good one from nick brandt it's talking about juniors he says, Nick Brandt says how they balance everything, school, homework, shooting, extra other, correct, other extracurricular activities. Um, and uh, Aubrey Hansen says, um, I'd like to hear from the juniors as well, how they practice, what they do to prepare, and more importantly, what they do to keep it fun in practice and at the match. And then finally, um, uh, an, another wonderful person with a fantastic last name, Rhonda Jones. Um, uh, she says, I think a topic for juniors should also focus on uh, safety, uh, good sportsmanship, helping other new juniors, uh, and supporting the 2A. So, um, Steve, I'd like to take this one first um, because I'm actually training four juniors right now. And um, uh, it's four brothers and sisters, two brothers and two sisters. And uh, we've been working uh, once a week. Uh, they come to the WAC. We practice for two hours. They all get to shoot. Uh, we pick different stages. 
um, and, and we work on those stages. And at this last match, now uh, uh, the oldest boy uh, picked up rimfire rifle open, uh, so he, uh, he set all personal best because it's the first time he's ever shot it. Um, the oldest girl shoots rimfire pistol iron, five personal bests. The youngest girl shoots rimfire rifle iron, four personal bests. And the youngest boy, who's 10, rimfire rifle open, four personal bests. Um, and I couldn't have been prouder, and I'm not even their parent, you know, just being able to help them. And so, Nick, to answer your question, because I've talked to their dad about this, um, how they balance everything is they have a schedule, and things got to be done, and things got to be done on a specific day or a specific time. And when they get those things done, then they can come shoot. And so that's how they manage it. And Steve, I know you trained some juniors, so what are your been exper experience there? Well, well, I think that number one, and probably the most important in my book, is there's only a handful of people that are in the shooting industry that really do make a living at shooting. So keep that in the back of your head, or back of your mind, is that there's, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, it may sound silly, but you got to make the main thing the main thing. And, and what they meant by that is, is that, you know, shooting is so much fun, and it's a big social thing, and it's competitive, and, you know, maybe if you get really good, you can get some free stuff and represent companies and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, I mean, you know, Christian Saylor is a good example. What's he doing? Did he quit school because he's uh, he won every area match and uh, open in U.S. nationals uh, this past year? No. You know what? He's getting a job. And maybe he, he will work in the firearms industry. But uh, Cassie Bear is another example. She is such an amazing young lady. And and she put um, shooting on hold, and she's one of the best open um, female shooters in the country. And she said, you know what, a couple, I don't know, a month or so ago, put out a post, said, look, you know, I'm um, setting down the gun competitively. Um, there's another junior shooter. I won't mention their name, but we're affiliated with them that, um, because it's not my business to share because they haven't shared it publicly yet that I'm aware of. But, you know, they're a world champion. And they said, you know what, I'm going to be working on this and this for my future career. So I think from a junior perspective, um, you know, you do have to put the time and effort in. And uh, Aubrey's son, Nate Gibson, is is a stud, and he shoots a ton. So we'll try to get him on the podcast to see how he manages it. But at the end of the day, it's all about having fun. And if you're... If you're shooting, and I've shared this before, um, you know, conversation I had with my wife just over four years ago is that, you know what, I'm looking to do this to have fun. It feels the competitive spirit in me. But you know what, the moment it stops being fun, I'm done. I'm out. It's, it's, you know, there's too many other things in life to worry about, and this is, this is one of those things that's meant to, meant to be fun. So it's not fun for you. Stop doing it. Uh, or put the gun down and, 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 and do a reset. Fantastic advice. You know, I tell everybody, this is a game. This is a hobby. You will spend more money than you'll make in this game. And if you're not having fun, you have to stop and look at yourself and go, why am I spending money on this? And you can get mad at a match that you had a bad match or you had a bad stage, or even had a bad string. But if you let that get to you by the time you leave the range, you need to evaluate why you're doing this. Because it just doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't, okay? And, you know, you and I have talked about this, and, you know, I, I say this to everybody, you know, Oh, I want to get sponsored. And we've talked to everybody about, you know, what it means to be sponsored and how to get a sponsorship. And, of course, every one of them, Max, JJ, BJ, they've all said the same thing. It's not about how well you shoot. It's how well you comport yourself at a match in, around people. Are you a nice person? Nope. The shooting gets you noticed. Your personality gets you on a team. So... What I always tell people is, it would be really cool if someone gave you a gun to shoot. 
And it would be awesome if they gave you ammo. Somebody else gave me ammo. Oh, and I got this other person that's willing to pay my way, my travel expenses. Let's face it, that's a big expense. They're willing to pay my travel. And I got this other company that's willing to pay my match fees. This is awesome. I'm a professional shooter. And I go, okay, who's going to buy your lunch? <laughs> who's going to put food on your table? Who's going to pay your car payment? Who's going to pay your rent? You know, one of the great, we've said this before, and we joked about it because I forgot his name. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but one of the greatest shooters ever, you know, is a Springfield Armory employee. Now he's yeah. able to, you know, uh, yeah. Rob Latham. See, I didn't forget his name. Everybody thought I was going to forget his name. <laughs> I, I did, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Rob's, Rob's a, a, an employee of Springfield Armory. And, and they allow him to do a lot of things, but he has responsibilities there. Um, you, know, you, know who the you know who the captain of Team Glock is? Uh, Steve, do you know who the captain Shane? is? It's Shane Coley. Shane, okay? yeah. Shane Coley is the captain of Team Glock. Shane Coley is a Glock employee. Not because he's on the team. Okay? He has responsibilities to the company. And I know for a fact, because I've talked to him about this, he's had to miss matches because he's had to be on a, a you know, he's had to fly out of the country um, for company business. Because that comes first. It's just great that he works for, again, a gun company. So, you know, we talked to, when we talked to uh, Mike Foley, I thought, he, I thought he really put it in perspective. He goes, you know, we get the juniors till about their 18. And then we lose them from about 18 to 22 because they go off to college and they get smart. And, you know, then they get out of college and they get a job and they start making some money and we might get them back, you know, 24, 25 if they come back. Or it's they've started a family, and then we get them in their 30s and 40s, you know, and right, when they come right. back. Um, and he goes, that's what should happen, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's great. I think it's great for the people that are, that are, that are able. You know, we can probably put our, our, uh, our heads together and come up with five people that actually make a living from shooting. And most of that is because yeah. they're, they, let's face it, you go to the world shoot, yeah, you're going to win a little bit of money, but it's pocket change compared to supporting yourself throughout the year. But you gain a lot of credibility. So a lot of people will make the money because they're able to then, you know, uh, they've improved their credibility and they, and then they, and they train. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't think there's a cash prize. Like even if you are the Ipsic world champion, you know, um, this year's team, I don't think it's been announced, but speculatively it's um, Christian Saylor, J.J. Ricasa, Casey Eusebio, and Shannon Smith. Those are some top names in USPSA slash Ipsic Open. I think they're just going to get a cup that says thank you for winning. It's not like they're going to win ten, twenty, a hundred thousand dollars. Right, right. You know. And the, there's there's some other disciplines out there, and I think a lot of the big money is not where it used to be. But a couple of years ago in three gun, you could make twenty grand winning a oh, yeah. major match. But oh, yeah. it's 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 different. You know what I what I think happens is is look at the end of the day, if you want to go out there, have a good time. You want to be competitive at something and. Maybe you're not able to play basketball. I used to like play basketball. I used to love playing lacrosse. But I don't have that anymore in my life or have the desire to get beat up all the time. I, yep. used, to, I used to love that, but not anymore. And then, you know, hopefully you can take your brothers, sisters, cousins, kids, grandkids with you and introduce them to a sport. And, you know, I had a chance the other day, which is a unique opportunity for me, a uh, friend of my family, they, they wanted to get their uh, daughter, you know, kind of immersed into guns and, you know, shoot safely. I can't even tell you, Jeff. We went to the plate rack, and I let her shoot my CWA. Oh, my goodness. She went one for one. She's like, oh, man, this is cool. And then she kept getting faster and faster. And 
the smile on her face. To me, that's what shooting is all about. That's people forget from time to time what we're out here doing. It's it's to have a good time, exercise our Second Amendment. I'll get on my Second Amendment soapbox if you want to. Oh, but, oh, oh know, we're all right there next to you, Steve. So make some room. But, but 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 there's been people out there that have posted recently about some of these junior shooters, whether it's a SASP or Steel Challenge or Rimfire Challenge or whatever it is that people are cheating in times and blah, blah. It, and I've had this direct conversation with more than one person about accepting times they shouldn't and, you know, hits mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's, you know, don't get me wrong. People are going to make mistakes and there could be an oversight. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you're claiming that they're hits and you're shooting so fast and there's only two hits on a plate that should have five on it. This is about, this is about who you are as a person Integrity. And character and the integrity in the rest of your life. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that there are not, um, you know, situations that sneak by the goalpost or, or whatever. And I've had one of those, um, and I've had conversations about it. But you know, at the end of the day, we're out there really to have fun. And to me, do I really? Don't get me wrong. I, am I out there to win? Absolutely. Who's not? But it, if my plaque says third instead of second or first, that's not going to emotionally disrupt me. It's, okay, what do I need to do to get better? And it's all about that continuous that continuous improvement. But to balance it, Nick, that's a great question. I think, you know, with your daughter being in dance and those kind of things, it's, 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 it's all about balance. But this, as soon as you have to force your kid to do something, well, you're probably doing it for you and not for, not for your kid. And that's why both of my kids have shown interest at one point in time in shooting. And I'm there for them when they want to do it, but I'm not pushing them. I do ask them if they want to go out shooting periodically. My oldest daughter, she's been wanting to come to the gun range with me. She's a little nervous about shooting. But you know what? I'm not going to put a gun in her hand if she's nervous to do it. When she's ready, she'll tell me that she's ready. And, of course, she wants a CWA, but you know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best you for her. You can't blame her. <laughs> Steve, you know, she's your daughter. You cannot blame her for that, okay? You know. Um, but, no, I think, I think you know, you said it very good, Steve. And, I, you know, I think the, the uh, again, this is a game. This is fun. Getting on the integrity stuff. I think there's honest mistakes that happen, Okay. Um, let's face it, you're at a local match, and if someone's willing to stand up there and run you who may not be perfect in the commands, and you know me in the commands, okay, kind of a, a, a command nerd. I like, to, I like to hear the right commands, but I also understand if somebody doesn't understand the commands, hey, instead of getting mad, maybe I can help them, okay? My point is, is that there's going to be honest mistakes. There's going to be that person that, you know, you run a... Uh, well, I'll use the example of uh, what happened to me at Florida State, okay? First string, rimfire rifle open, I get up there, speed option, and a good friend, David Cunningham, goes 1.8. And I looked at him and I said, David, there's no way I shot a 1.8. It's just, it's not, that's not in my wheelhouse. And he looked down at the timer and he went, it only picked up three shots. I said, I'd like to shoot the string again. He said, absolutely. And then he made a little more diligence to make sure the timer picked up all the shots and life was good. Now, I could have been the person that stepped back and, and I'm not saying I'm such a great person, but let's face it, in all the shooters that everybody knows, everybody can pick out at least one person who wouldn't have said anything and they would have taken that one eight. And that's not me, but that wasn't David's fault. It just happened. Your point on hits, how many times, oh, that's a double. It's a level one match. Okay, it's a double. I'm not going to complain, you know. But we've also, I think, also been on the reverse side. There's been a couple of times where, you know, you're, you're getting into it and you're fast and you didn't see the hit, you didn't hear the hit, but you kept going and you're waiting for the RO to go and one and they don't say it. And you went, oh, I must have hit it, and you move on. You know, it's also not your job to sit there and question that kind of thing. I mean, have you ever had that situation like, it, where you go, okay, the time was within my, my, my realm of what I can shoot. I thought I missed it. Maybe I nicked it. RO heard it. I'm going to move on. So it's interesting. When I shot that PCCO time, 
I think my third string was a 307. My last one was a 301. When I came through, I was coming through pretty hard from uh, plate four to three to the stop plate. Plate three, man, it was one of those, you know, because once you shoot that fast, you know if you hit something or not if, if you shoot and make sure that the, the dot or uh, front sight's on the target. I was shooting an open gun or my PCCO, and I came through there, and the timing was right. I didn't see it. I didn't hear it, but I knew I hit the stop plate. But I wasn't. I, I couldn't tell you if I hit that back plate, you know. And they called yep. out a time. I'm like, did I hit that back plate? They're like, yes, you did. And here's where it went. I said, look. I said, I didn't even see it. I didn't even hear it. Yep. And you know, I would have been more than happy if they wanted to go out there and look at it because I knew I was rolling. But it was. I just came off of that fourth plate so fast that I just more than timed it. The gun wasn't where I expected it to be when I pulled the trigger going in the stop plate so hard. But you know what? It's Do you have to do that as a shooter? No. Is it the RO's responsibility to make sure that, number one, you hit it and they score the correct time? Absolutely. Especially at a major match, a state level or higher. But even at a major match, and you know, you RO'd me at the World Speed Shoot, yep. I'll be talking smack while I'm, while I'm shooting because I like to stay loose and I like to have fun, you know? Yep. But, uh, yeah, it's people that take this stuff too seriously. Don't get me wrong. When I say too seriously, I'm, you know, safety is paramount. Safety is number one. Absolutely. That has to be the most serious part of the game. If you want to joke around and all that kind of stuff, i got no issue with that. But you can't do it in a reckless, in a reckless manner. But yep. anyway, back to Rhonda and Aubrey and uh, a couple other questions. Next question. We'll do a, we'll do a good job and we'll... Um, get a couple more junior shooters out there that, you know, maybe yeah, world champions, absolutely. maybe people that, that are just getting into the sport. Um, and uh, we'll get some feedback from them because, after all, we want to make sure that this conversation is tailored to not just, you know, people that are master, want to be a grandmaster and win. We want to make sure that's inclusive for everybody because that's what I think has been great about Steel Challenge and even somewhat Rimfire Challenge is it's a very open and giving group, and it's a good introduction and and uh, platform with a low barrier of entry to people get into the shooting sport. So we want to make sure that we uh, we cater our discussion to everybody. Absolutely. You know, I want to touch on one point because you brought it up, um, and because uh, 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 Aubrey had asked, you know, how do you keep it fun um, at practice? And you know, you mentioned the plate rack, and I think the plate rack is an amazing training tool. Um, it's, it's, you know, different than what we normally shoot, but what it does teach you is, um, you know, cause again, a plate rack plates are usually eight inches. They're not 10. So they're smaller than you're used to shooting. And, you know, you can do a lot of different patterns on that. You can go left to right, right to left. Um, you know, I learned something, uh, when I took a training class from Shannon called crazy plates where you go outside, you know, so you go one, six, two, five, three, four. Um, you can shoot different patterns. Um, what it does is it breaks up. It's, it just adds a little different element of shooting that's not steel challenge. And you still have to grip the gun. You still have to have good form. You still have to pull the trigger. You still have to transition. Um, so, I mean, if you've got access to a plate rack, that can be a lot of fun. The other thing that I like to do, I use it as a training technique, but the kids always like to do it too, is... Um, uh, uh, an element of training that's called a wild thing. And, and what that is, is absolutely, if, if your best times are at 100%, you are pushing at 150%. You are just, you are top fuel, ripping that gun. You still have to try to target every target. But you're not concerned about your hits. And the kids like that because they get to pull the trigger fast and they get to go fast. Um, and what's really cool on that is when they start hitting two, three, sometimes four plates, um, what they're actually doing is they're training their eyes to catch up to the dot um, and learning how to go fast. Um, and uh, so that can be a lot of fun, too. Okay. Everybody? Well, Jeff, I really... Yeah, I really enjoyed our discussion. Today. Absolutely, was, you know, we've got uh, a lot of other questions great. here, Steve, and um, I think it's a it's a a good time to break this one. Um, 
I'm sure everybody would love to hear your voice more, but they're probably going, God, Jeff, shut up. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's end this one for now. And, um, and we'll pick this up again and, and we'll catch all the other questions because there's some good ones. Okay. That's running matches and got a range. Get on that auto renewal program. The Wyoming Antelope Club has been on it for two months now. Um, the steel has been delivered, or the, the steel, the steel paint has been delivered more than in enough time for our match. And it's, we've got four cases for every match. It's great. So I suggest if you run matches, get on that auto renewal program. All right, everybody, until next time, be safe. And don't forget, one shot, one steal.